Well, hi. It's great to be with you. I was so looking forward to being at Celebration, but that's not going to happen this time. I look forward to being there at some later date. Meanwhile, I've been invited to your Father's Day Sunday and um, to speak on that theme to you, which I'm very happy to do. My first time, actually. But uh, not like being a father is uh, unusual to us. Wendy and I have had five kids and uh, 19 grandchildren and two more on the way next month. How about that? So we know a bit about fathering. So first of all, when I thought about it, I thought, well, I remember my first boy being born and the sense of excitement and uh, a bit scary. We're going to actually produce a child. I'm, I'm going to be a father. Uh, it's kind of a weird feeling. And I guess the responsibility of being someone that actually lines up with God, that we know God as Father. You know, we can think of God in other ways. We can think of him as creator, or as king, as Lord. But actually, Christians meet with the Father through Jesus. We, we come to Jesus. We're, we're followers of Jesus. And he says things like this, no one comes to the Father but by me. And even before he was creator, Jesus says this, I, I want to be back with you like I was with you before the foundation of the world. So before he was ever creator, he was already father to the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus introduces God to us as a father. We're to know him as a father. And that runs right through scripture, this, the attributes of a father, the style of a father. And God is unashamed to use the language the other way around a bit. When he says, uh, as a father has compassion on his children, so your heavenly father has compassion on you. He's kind of reversing it. Although we read in Ephesians in chapter 3, all fathering derives its name from God. It's God who has set the pattern, really, of fathering. So what do we think about when we, we think of father? Well, I would say... Maybe, first of all, he's the provider. He provides love, security, compassion, and kindness. That, that's what makes me feel safe with him. And as a human father, I want to provide that to my children, that I'll be a place where love comes freely. Uh, you don't have to earn that love. It's unconditional. Uh, and when we've understood the grace of God, we really do learn that this love of the Father is completely unconditional. Once you put your confidence in Jesus and you're clothed with his righteousness, you come to your father. I know some people have got pretty bad father experiences. And when you say to them you can know God as father, they kind of shrink back a bit because, well, their experience wasn't good. He was either kind of absentee or even hostile. And so hard to think of God as father. But to be honest, I think it's better for us to line up with the image of father that Jesus told us in the story of the prodigal son. Because that's the clearest image of father you get in all the Gospels. And we need to remember it's a story that Jesus told. It came down from heaven. I mean, it's amazing that there's a son and he's outrageous, really, because he says to his father, I know I'm going to inherit half of what you have when you die, but I don't want to wait for you to die. Uh, can I have my inheritance now? Well, Israel would have been a, a shame culture. In other words, this, this is absolutely shameful thing to say. Outrageous. 
Imagine the neighbors saying, he said what? Uh, he asked for the inheritance while you're still living and then took off with it and lived shamefully, wasted it, lost his money, lost his friends. And in the end said, I'll go back to my father because, well, at least he pays his servants and I'm starving. I'm eating pig food. I know I've, I've blown sonship. I'll go back to my father and say, can I have a job? And so he begins to make the journey. And then this wonderful account of how the father, as an older man, sees his son on the horizon. It's like he's looking every day and runs to him and falls on his neck and kisses him and says, you're alive. You're, you were lost. You're found. And this boy who's been kind of preparing his little speech about, I know I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. Can I have a job? He absolutely refuses to have him as a servant. You know, dear friends, sometimes we don't feel we've done well. And we kind of engage with God, like, I'll try harder to serve you. We, we kind of get into servant mode. And let me just say to you, he won't have you as a servant. If you're a son, he won't have you as a servant. He's never going to have you on that basis. He wants you a son again. And, you know, he puts the robe on him, which we can line up with the robe of righteousness, which he gives us, covers all our shame, and then puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, and throws a party. I mean, it's amazing. The whole thing's amazing, because that's what the father is like. And, of course, Jesus told that story, really, to the Pharisees, who were outraged that Jesus mixed with the wrong people. That's why he told the story, and probably... The whole point of the story is about these pretty stuck-up people who think, what are you doing with sinners? You're supposed to be a rabbi. You're eating with the wrong people. And Jesus told the story actually trying to win the other son uh, back from his position of aloofness and claiming his own righteousness. So the father was kind to both. He said, both come into the party. That's the kind of father that we have to deal with. It's wonderful to know him. And it's great to remember that story, which Charles Dickens said was the greatest short story ever told, came down from heaven. A man didn't invent that and think, say, try to think of God like this. No, it came down from God. It's God telling us what he's like. It's a wonderful story. And so it kind of shows us what a father is like. And so a father, I think, above all, provides a place of safety and love. And, you know, in trying to be a father, that's what we're to provide. I think we provide love, we provide security, uh, love that doesn't have to be won. And of course, raising a family is a challenging thing, to put it mildly, especially in this generation where there's a lot of independence, but to try and win our children and help them. It says in the Old Testament, in Hosea, and again, it's a beautiful thing, God says to Israel, it was I who taught you to walk. It's a fabulous little statement. And I'm reminded of my first son. I remember teaching him to walk. I don't actually remember teaching the other four, but I do remember my first son. And uh, it's funny, isn't it, with the first one, you remember so many things. I remember hearing a preacher say once, when your first son or your first child has an accident, you, you say, oh, come, can I help you? Are you all right? Uh, are you hurting? Are you hurting? He said, by the time you've had number three, you say, if you're going to bleed, bleed outside. You, know, you remember your first son better. And I remember teaching him to walk. And uh, 
But it's funny, walk is a, a Bible word for live. So in the New Testament, it says, some of our modern translations say live, but the actual word is walk. So in my NASB, it says, so walk worthy of the Lord. Walk pleasing to him. Walk in the light. It's always about walking. And uh, even to Abraham, walk before me and be perfect. And it's this walk, we're humans, we, we walk. Uh, I love seeing these animals. Uh, I look at some lambs being born recently, and I can't believe it. They, they've just been born, and they're kind of up and dancing and jumping. Crazy. But human beings have to be taught to walk, and they have to be held and just encouraged, and they keep falling over, and come on, you can do it. Walking. Uh, but walking is a life. And so as fathers, one of the things we have to do is to teach our children to walk in life. And so part of our fathering role is to teach. Now, I've heard some fathers say, oh, I don't want to push religion down their throat. You know, they can choose. I'll let them choose. Yeah, but, you know, we're not talking about which sports club do you support or even what career. Of course they'll choose. We're talking about life and death. We're talking about eternity. <laughs> you don't say, well, think about it if you like. This is huge to us. And so we have this main responsibility of teaching. I was looking at the word in Proverbs, which repeatedly says, my son, hear a father's instruction. That's how the way Proverbs comes across. And it's interesting in Hebrews where uh, there's a quote of Proverbs, and it says, have you forgotten the instruction which comes to as sons. And the Bible speaks to you in that kind of way. And the father has responsibility to speak to his son, to teach him things. And so for us, yeah, we will teach them the Bible. That was our family pattern. And I think it's important when, when, you, when you first get married, husband and wife, you think, well, how, what kind of culture do we want when we come together? And I think we want to try and follow the Bible pattern, if we're Christians. And it's interesting that in Paul's letter to the Ephesians and the Colossians and in 1 Peter as well, they kind of set out the gospel. And then in each case it says, having set out the gospel and what it is to be a Christian, quite quickly it says, now, fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, children, it goes into this kind of family code. As, you know, this is the way you live the Christian life. And uh, if you weren't expecting it, it might be a surprise, but if you think about it, that's where culture is formed. It's formed in the home. And some of the tragedy of the modern culture in our big cities in England, probably yours in the US, is kids that don't have a father. They're running riot. And you think, where are the fathers? So we need to see that the Bible knows what it's talking about. You build society on family. And of course, that's ever so true in the Christian home. We want to build society. So when we get married, it's important, I think, that guys and girls talk together about what are we expecting? What are we looking for? And girls, you know, marry a guy you feel I could honor, not just because he's a hunk, but, you know, could I let him lead me? Would I be confident that he could lead me? Because that's the way it's meant to be. We, we raise a family together, but the father really does establish the culture alongside his wife. And that's such an important thing. And so we want to agree that kind of thing when we come together as a potential married couple. And then when we do, the children start coming along 
and we establish principles. We establish these things. And so they need to understand a, a country that gives them safety. Yes, they're, they're loved, they're treasured, and these are the ways to live. And so, yeah, we want to teach them what the Bible says so that they get familiar with its stories, its characters, its principles. And it's interesting the way the Bible is put together. It's not like a systematic theology, you know, the attributes of God in a column. It's about how God dealt with men and women, their stories, how human beings related to him. That's how you get to know God. This is what God was like with Abraham. This is what he was like with Hannah and with Hagar when she was deserted. Oh, that's what God is like. Yeah, that's what God's like. That's how he deals with a woman who's been badly treated and dropped. It's about life. It's about God relating to people in life. And so we teach our children, you can get to know God. And so, yes, of course. So for us, breakfast time, uh, every day, I would bring a Bible story to them, sometimes straight from the Bible, sometimes finding a book written for children, Bible-based. Yeah, we want them to know to understand, be familiar with it. Actually, our ultimate goal is to teach them how to live. But we do that from the Bible because it's full of how to live. And then often in the evenings when I was frequently out, to be honest, Wendy would read them stories like uh, the Narnia stories, you know, the lion, the witch and the wardrobe and all that. And she would read all kinds of stories with them and so that they're engaging with uh, these stories and with the Bible became familiar with it. That was very helpful to us. And so I want to encourage you to consider doing that if you've not started doing that, to help lay good principles into their lives, things that, that will help them think through life. Well, that's how God was with Hannah. That's how God was with Ruth. That's how God was with Gideon. And, and they get to know their way around. I would encourage them to do that. And so we teach them wisdom. We teach them knowledge. We teach them wisdom. Yeah, the book of Proverbs is full of this. It's fascinating that uh, it talks in the, in the book of Proverbs about the simple. It talks about the wise. It talks about the sluggard. It talks about the wicked. All these different characters come out. And the book of Proverbs is encouraging wisdom. Listen to your father's instruction. Take wisdom. And that's our responsibility. So we don't just teach with an open Bible. We teach when we're playing games with them, walking down the street with them. You know, principles of life. We're not saying thus says the Lord. We're not saying there's the Bible verse, but it's our lifestyle. And, and they can learn the consistency of that from us. We're training them for life, which does mean also discipline. Yeah, we had to teach them obedience. And uh, that meant disobedience would be punished. Now, that was just part of life for us. And they understood that because all our children are children of disobedience. That's what the Bible calls them. That's what we are by nature. Until we get a new nature, until we get born again, we have that kind of nature. And we still struggle with stuff even after we're born again. So they need disciplines. And our children used to understand. Now, accidents are accidents. Anything can, anyone can have an accident. Daddy could knock something over and smash it on the floor by accident. Cost a fortune, but hey, it was an accident. And we understand we don't lose our temper when you have an accident. Hey, accidents happen. But my kids knew if you're, if you're rude to your mum, uh, 
you answer to me. You're in trouble. And uh, we used to use the wooden spoon. I don't know if that's illegal in America. It's pretty illegal in England now. Uh, but I'm of an earlier generation. We used to whack them. And they knew they'd get whacked if they were disobedient. They also knew this. They get the same answer from me as they would from their mother. They couldn't play one off against the other. We're in this together. And by the grace of God, the standard is consistent because children hate inconsistency. You said this yesterday, or mummy said that. We need to build a consistent principle that builds safety in. And we use the wooden spoon because I didn't want them to be scared of my hand. My hand was to hold them and to caress them, not to hit them. So they knew this wooden spoon was an object. It was the kind of object associated with their disobedience. I remember one day my oldest boy was playing football where he knew he shouldn't have done. And he kicked the ball through the window of the front door. And I didn't even know he had done it. But he came and found me with the wooden spoon in his hand and gave it to me. He said, I've smashed the window and, you know, got ready. But he understood I shouldn't have done it. And we all, always, always embraced after. We always explained it. And it takes time, it takes discipline. You know, keep on. I think Joel was my worst kid. You know, you have to again and again think, how many times have I got to deal with this? But always at the end, embracing, you know why this had to happen. I'm not your enemy now, I'm your father who loves you. And we'd embrace, yeah, I understand that, you know. And we'd go through that. Even with my little girl, we only had one girl. But we want to be their friend, we want to be the father. But yeah, they had to learn. And so we, we always finish with affection and embrace. That, that takes a little more time. But we want to do it right because we're trying to build safety, actually, into their lives. We want to build a culture that brings safety to them. So that's such a, an important principle in fathering. Now, some fathering is so different when they're little children. So to be honest, the earlier the better. And then as they grow up into their teen years, yeah, they start looking to their contemporaries more and more. They begin to pick up values from their contemporaries. And so it's so important that they own what we're trying to teach them. So that means we've got to keep praying and winning. We can't force things upon our children. You can't force them. I'm so grateful that our children did come to Christ early. Wendy, my wife, came to Christ when she was seven. Now, I came to Christ much later, having been out in the world. But, you know, it really worked for her. Uh, you know, sometimes you think, can you become a Christian so young? But, yeah, no, she knew she was a Christian. And so I'm delighted that my kids came to Christ in those early years. So you could build from principle, and, and, and you don't force things. You let them come at a pace they're comfortable with. But then later, you're going to learn. You've got to give them time. Love, you say, I love my child. That often means I give time to them. It means I'm available when they say. It's like, but I'm busy. If you say to them, I'm busy, you know, later on when you're trying to talk to them, you might find they're busy. Uh, so you, it's being an open heart, giving them time, having ambition for their success, not being down on them. To be honest, all of our five kind of wobbled in their teenage years. A couple of them very badly. 
But in God's mercy, they came back. They're all doing well now. I know it's hard, certainly demanding, but fathering is a massive privilege. It's a calling, it's a duty, but it's a privilege, and God will help us. But certainly, we had to pray very much that God would help them and bring them through, because it's only he who can really win their hearts. It's only he who can change their values from deep inside, not because, well, Dad requires this of me. That's what you're always longing for, that they'll make their own choices. I'm absolutely thrilled at the moment we've become grandparents, and, and lately I'm getting calls from my grandson saying, Granddad, what do you think about this? And I think, wow. I had one just yesterday, and uh, just saying, can you explain this one to me? And a real desire to know, and I'm so thrilled to find my kids training their kids in the way that we tried to train them. So I want to encourage us, hey, fathering's a big deal. It's Father's Day. God help us to love our Heavenly Father, feel safe in His love. We've been fully adopted, and, and not as legal standing. Not only legal standing, but we've got the spirit of adoption in our hearts. We cry, Abba, Father. It's so beautiful. But out of that security, providing love and security to our kids, if you may say, oh, I've never done that. That's completely new to me. Maybe for some of you think, oh, this is all, down, you know, we know all this. Well, some of it may be new. Let me encourage you. Maybe you need to say sorry to your kids. Maybe you need to say, look, we just we feel we've heard something. We want to start again. We, we're going to start laying some principles. Let's talk about it as a family and begin to do something that will help us raise them in a way that we'll be thrilled with, ultimately. God helping us. Let's do this thing together. Yeah, fathers give the lead, but fathers and mothers, actually, so important. We do it together. And that we glorify God in our families. You know, actually twice, when we've been out in restaurants with five kids around us, on two separate occasions, a man came over to us and actually said, how do you do this? I said, beg pardon? How do you do this? What are you talking about? These five kids, and they're just peaceful and happy. How do you do this? I heard on television recently a woman with teenage kids, and she said, what can you do with kids? Today, what can you do with them? She kind of given up. Now, fathers, don't give up. Give yourself to it. God bless you. It's been great to spend some time with you. I look forward to being with you, maybe next year. Bye-bye for now.